so good evening. Let's chant a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam first canto, second chapter, uh, which is one of the core texts used to illustrate the position of the absolute truth and what is a comprehensive understanding of that absolute truth. You can chant responsibly. Vedanti tat tatva vidas. Vedanti Learn transcendentalists who know the absolute truth. Call this non-dual substance, Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. We're coming to an interesting part of the Tattva Sandarbha, in which Jiva Goswami is now asking his reader, his audience, to look to themselves and basically utilize what he said earlier is not fully reliable to give ourselves some comprehension into the nature of transcendental consciousness, spiritual consciousness. So at the beginning of Tattvasandarva, he's gone to great lengths to, to point out that to truly apprehend the highest spiritual understanding, the material mind and senses and other methods of acquiring knowledge that are available to humanity, of all those methodologies for inquiring into the nature of reality and especially the nature of absolute reality, of all those transcendental sound is the most effective and we say well what so the sky is going to open up and speak to us about the nature of our self is that the way we're to we're to toss everything aside and say and just wait for the the heavens to open and a, a voice come down from above and tell us what is the absolute truth the other methods of acquiring knowledge are not reliable for humanity, that the senses, the ears, the seeing, the smelling, the tasting, the touching is not fully reliable, and using the knowledge of the, that we receive through the senses, empiric knowledge, and 
through inference of things we know, make a determina uh, determination into the nature of things we don't know? It sounds rather amazing. But Jiva's given us some pretty strong evidence that actually it's not that the skies are going to open, but the sages will speak to us. And in speaking to us, they will avail us of knowledge which is more relevant to our true spiritual being than all the words in the world. So he's gone to great lengths to do this, to provide this, make this entrance available to us into, first of all, an apprehension of what is referred to as Subda Brahman, transcendental sound vibration. And he's then pointed out to us, to, his, to the people of his culture, basically. I mean, that's an Acharya, a spiritual uh, revolutionary. He speaks to the nature of his audience. So Jiva Goswami is speaking to an odd audience uh, that existed in, in India uh, some five, six hundred years ago. Although he was another next generation after, after Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So in speaking to that audience, we may say, well, that's dated information. Does it really apply today? Does what he was speaking of in India 500 years ago, is that applicable today? And what we say is, it's more than applicable today. No one's come along since Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his immediate followers to provide any other revelations into spiritual apprehension that come even close to what has been made available through these sages of India 500 years ago. One of these sages even being pointed out in the scriptures before his advent as the Supreme Lord himself coming as a devotee. So we make the case for Jiva that bring it on. If you have some better methodology of it arriving at transcendent knowledge than what Jiva has provided in his writings, which are based on the instructions of his older uncles, which are based on the words coming from the mouth of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then let us put those theories, those ideas, those spiritual concepts to the test of the writings of the Goswamis and the theology of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We're willing to take on that challenge as representatives of this Sampradaya. That's what a Sampradaya does. A Sampradaya puts forward their theology and 
they defend it. Now, in Indian culture, Vedic culture, the defense of that sampradaya is presented in a work which analyzes the content of the Vedas. So all the Vedas are summarized and made in a more digestible form in a text called the Vedanta Sutra. So any sampradaya will provide for humanity and as a testament to the validity of their spiritual experience and their spiritual understanding. A presentation, a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra to defend their spiritual position. The Gaudiyas, yeah, they're a little bit out of the ordinary. They say, well, yeah, that's okay if you want to go to all the trouble, but really, let's look at what Srila Vyasadeva himself gave as a, the most mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. After having deep samadhi into the very best service that he could render to humanity in Kali Yuga. We accept the Srimad Bhagavatam as that most pristine, pure commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. And if you are not satisfied with that due to some logistical situation, social religious pressure, you want to put on our organization, then we have also asked a great scholar in our line, Baladev Vidyabhushan, to provide for your satisfaction and intellectual inquiry a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. So our commentary on the Vedanta Sutra is primarily Srimad Bhagavatam, Secondarily, we give you the Govinda Bhasha by Baladevid Yubushan, authored by the Lord himself, who Baladev was dictated to in response to his request to fulfill the desires of the members of our Sampradaya to stand in defense of those that say, without a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, your line of religious thought cannot be accepted in any reasonable assembly of spiritualists in our culture. So we're talking about the culture of India and we're talking about the Vedas, we're talking about the Vedanta Sutra and the, and the Upanishads, and we may say here in the Western world, well, what's it have to do with us? Don't we have our own religions? Don't we have our own theologies? What about our ideas regarding the nature of being? India will stand up, rise up and say, okay, give us a commentary on your Vedanta Sutra. And what we find at this time in this environment, in human society, any reasonable theologian will ultimately come to the conclusion 
that there is unlimited wealth and transcendent knowledge available to humanity from the Vedas that far exceeds any other religious contribution that mankind's ever seen. It's a bold statement, I know, but one that is being bore out pretty uh, significantly even in our modern times. So Jiva Goswami has, he started out and saying, said that transcendental sound vibration is available to us through the Vedas. God himself, at the beginning of this horrid age of mankind, decided to do humanity a great favor and write it all down. And he's written it all down. Now that he has written it all down, we are allowed entrance into this transcendental sound vibration through the medium of primarily the Srimad Bhagavatam when it comes to the purest form of self-revelation. So we're coming kind of full circle now. The first half of the Tattvasandarva has stressed very strongly the fact that of all types of inquiry into the absolute reality of not only our existence, but the manifestation of the cosmos and the nature of the deepest understanding of spirituality and the most revealing understanding of the absolute truth no matter how you want to approach that absolute truth. So the verse we started out with this evening, we chanted, talks to that. Advaya jnana, that non-dual existence of consciousness which can be viewed differently by different spiritual aspirants. So he's made his point for the for the significance of Subda Brahman as the highest form of evidence. And he's shown of all Subda Brahman, Srimad Bhagavatam is the quintessential sound vibration, transcendence. So he has his methodology, his epistemology for acquiring knowledge and the topmost evidence for that acquisition of knowledge. And now he's come forward and he said, so what should we know? We know how to find things out now. There's a great book <laughs> called the Srimad Bhagavatam. You can find out everything there. So then he goes on, he, he answers, the, he asks us to ask, he asks us to ask the question, what should we inquire into? Pramaya, what should be our inquiry? We know the best way to acquire knowledge. You've given us that, a, concluded, a conclusive methodology, epistemology, now, what should we ask? What should be our question? 
And immediately he says, well, if we look in the Bhagavatam, let's go to what the Bhagavatam is about. What's the core thing to be offered in this book? Well, let's ask the author. What's the best you have to offering in, offer us in your offering? And Sutta Goswami says, we look to what was the inspiration behind what Srila Vyasadeva presented. What inspired him? What inspired him? He followed the direction of his spiritual master and he what? He wasn't happy in his service. He wanted to go deeper. He went to his guru and he says, I want to go deeper. I want to go to the next level. I wanted to help humanity and I know you have such a tremendous position in, in spirituality that I bow to your feet as my master tell me what to do because I don't think I got it right and he said yes you need to think about it deeply and he did and his deep thinking we call samadhi and from the samadhi we have revelation in the revelation what did he see he actually experienced the supreme personality of Godhead in his personal form and he saw his energies one of which was the jiva himself of course we know it was God but he was playing the part of a jiva so he saw the jiva and he saw maya and he saw the means for letting everybody into his experience and that was the leela of the Supreme. When the Supreme plays, everyone's benefited. That was the nature of the revelation. But Jiva's trying to do something very special for us. He's trying to give us an extremely deep and solid foundation in spiritual understanding so that nothing will shake us. Because in the revelation of Vyas, the whole process of spirituality is given. Sambanda, what is the relationship of ourselves, our, our inner being, the Supreme Lord, the material energy, and the spiritual energy, as much as we can comprehend. Sambanda, Abhideya, what is the methodology for eliminating suffering? Now you could say, well, I'm not suffering. Okay. <laughs> we don't find that in the world of man, unfortunately. The position without suffering. The position without fear. With the, the position without lamentation. So his revelation ends in praying, which what? Dissipates lamentation, illusion, and fear. We've come to a very extraordinary point. Jiva Goswami said, okay, here it is. This is what the book is all about. The Samadhi of Vyasadeva and the fact that the Leela of the Lord could attract the most perfected being. 
Sukade Goswami. A man in this world and not of this world who could walk through the world naked and not be affected by anything. Who is so content in himself the world had nothing to offer him. The world of man had nothing to nothing to attract him. So now we have what the book's about. The book is about relieving the suffering and allowing us to, to apprehend our innermost spiritual being through the Leela of the Supreme. The play of the Supreme is the key to our liberation and much more. Generally, in human society, there's four primary goals. Artha, Dham, Kama, Moksha. Economic development, sense gratification, religiosity, and ultimately liberation from the slings and arrows of outrageous material existence. But here is something much deeper and more profound than even attainment and fulfillment of those aspirations that reign supreme in human society. Here is a fifth goal, praying. Transcendental love for the absolute, which is revolutionary. So these things have been been laid out, and now we're at a point in the Takvasandarva where Jiva wants us to go deeply, specifically into the verse we chanted tonight, and understand what is the nature of the supreme absolute truth, the personality of Godhead, what is the nature of that personality? Let's start by looking to the commonalities between our self and that self. His approach to teaching is amazing because now he's coming and now let's look at, at, at what we know about ourselves and the nature of our consciousness the nature of our being by looking carefully at the way our consciousness is we can begin to apprehend a little bit and that's what our Anuchetit this evening speaks about we can begin to look a little bit through comparison into the nature of the supreme by looking carefully at the nature of ourself in the last Anucheta, he started off by discussing deeply the verse we chanted tonight. Vedanti tat tat vavidas tat vamiyas janamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. He explained the nature of when we say what's non-dual really mean. Different types of, of duality and why none of those dualities apply to the non-dual and tonight he continues. This is Anucheta 52. Consciousness is primary and distinct from its content. Consciousness is primary and distinct from its content. We have the ability to perceive things 
but what we perceive is different from ourselves. Consciousness is primary and distinct from its content. Identity and distinction of the Jiva and Brahman. So this Anacheta deals with that, these two items. First it is what we perceive is distinct from our perceiving instrument. Cognition, our consciousness is cognitive and we can perceive things but the, what we perceive is not the consciousness itself. The essence. This is a deep thing. Just this alone, if you think about it and actually use it. Imagine you don't relate with the flavor that's on your tongue, the music that's in the, your ear. You perceive them as distinct. Your consciousness is, you are that perceiver, but the perceived object is not you. There's a distinction between what you perceive and what is you. And what you perceive is a little different than what I perceive. What's hot for you is cold for me. What's desirable for you is undesirable for me. In human society we apply laws and what, what's acceptable for, to one class of mankind is not acceptable to another. But the consciousness of all those living entities, all those different classes and distinctions of humanity is completely free of individual distinction on the conscious level. If you are born in a low-class environment or a high-class environment or a middle-class environment, the soul in all those classes is the same. It's only when they take on those characteristics as themselves that we have material consciousness. If you are constantly able to separate the wheat from the chaff, separate what is your essence from what your environment is telling you you are, you're on the way to self-realization. You've made some great strides towards knowing the nature of your being. Consciousness is primary. That's what we are. It's our essence. And it's distinct from the content that it holds. The identity and distinction between the jiva and brahman. Achinta beda beda tattva. Where are they alike and where are they different? So Jiva is saying, look to yourself to know the nature of being and the Supreme Being, but when you look, remember, there is a distinction. They have like characteristics, but the Veda speaks to us in two ways about the nature of Brahman. There's a likeness and there's a difference. So let's read Jiva's Anucheda. 
One may question, but events of consciousness, jnana, are seen to exist for just an instant, taking the shape, say, of a blue object one moment and a yellow object the next. This could be in moments, this could be in lifetimes. One time you think you're this, and one lifetime you think you're that. Events of consciousness, of gyan, perceiving, are seen to exist for just an instant. Taking the shape, say, of a blue object for one moment and a yellow object the next. This is the question that's presented. This is what we observe in our consciousness. One moment it's hot, one moment it's cold, one moment we're looking at yellow, one moment at blue. So the question could be raised, if that's the case, how then can consciousness, jnana, be characterized as non-dual and eternal, which is the subject of this scripture, Srimad Bhagavatam? So this Anucheta speaks to the question. How can you say consciousness is eternal since it's changing all the time? Changing at every minute. But one minute it's perceiving one thing and the next moment it's perceiving another and the next moment it's perceiving another. So how could it be eternal? Jiva Goswami answers this question by quoting Srimad Bhagavatam. And he quotes from the 12th chapter. This Bhagavatam is the essence of all Vedanta philosophy because its subject matter is the absolute truth which is one without a second as characterized by the oneness in love of the individual living being with Brahman. The one ultimate attainment, Prayojan, proclaimed in this book is Kaivalya, which here implies pure devotion alone unto that supreme truth devoid of any extraneous element. The question's logical. Why did Jiva not address and, and frame an answer that was a logical response, we would ask? He immediately just quotes scripture. So the question is there, and basically this question would be raised by a specific Buddhist sect who believe that the nature of being, the reality of existence, is they only accept the one reality, consciousness. But they see that consciousness is changing at every moment, like a, like a river running. It's not that you can just... These are, these are also deep thinkers. They're called Kasnika Vigyanavadis and it's a Buddhist sect so they accept that the ultimate reality is consciousness but it's ever changing so therefore they do not accept the conclusions of the Vedas because the Veda says what? consciousness is eternal they say what's eternal about it? we can see that Jiva 
in answering their inquiry, and again, just so you understand, they say conscious, they accept that consciousness is the ultimate reality, but they say that reality is constantly in motion. There is no difference between knowledge and the object of knowledge. Constantly changing. Everything is transitory. Because everything in consciousness is transitory. Rivers are flowing. It looks like one river, but there's still so many changes continually. You look at the flame of a candle, but you can cut it down into frames. The candle is always changing. There's always new wax being consumed, combustion, and the flame is it's not eternal. It's ever-changing. It is only through inference that our cognitions appear to be unchanging. I can look at another living entity, but they're actually changing. They're growing a little bit, but they're, they're cha they've changed. In the time I've perceived them, there's been a change. So really, what consciousness is, is a succession of different impressions. And we just put them together and call that a reality. But these thinkers, these Buddhists say, yes, but it's not really a reality. It's a momentary cognition of something that's in constant flux. So they say, how can consciousness be eternal? It's ever-changing according to cognitions. Everything is going through moment-to-moment -moment change. So Jiva, as I said, he doesn't answer logically. He doesn't, he doesn't go to their level and respond to the logic that they put forth in support of their position. But he refutes it by quoting from the Bhagavatam as the ultimate Pramod. Advaya Gyan. Non-dual consciousness is not momentary but eternal. Conscious and blissful by nature. So he says, well no. We accept Shastra. We accept what the what Subda Brahman says when it comes to consciousness. It's eternal, full of knowledge, and blissful. That's the nature of consciousness. So what's changing? Where do the Buddhists have it wrong? Because it sounded like a pretty sound argument, didn't it? But what are they confusing? They're confusing what's external to consciousness as consciousness itself. Their argument is the perceived is the reality. Our argument is the reality is the ability to perceive. So the Vigyanavadi's view is based on a material conception of ever-changing consciousness. They do not accept that there is an absolute pure consciousness free of upadis, impressions that color the consciousness to such an extent of bewilderment that what is a rope is seen as a snake. 
what is seen as a body is accepted as a self. They don't accept that consciousness is in its ultimate state absolutely pure. And that the Lord in his intrinsic energy is not bound by the perceivable, the material realm. Again, the argument is put forth. The spider spins his web and then withdraws it. But he's not wrapped up in it. So that topmost consciousness can, by its own intent, create an environment that it itself is not affected by. We call this Suchikan Sankalpa. Simply by the desire of that purest of consciousness, that supreme consciousness, you can have a material realm. You can have a spiritual realm. What is one can become many, and what is many can become one. That depth of knowledge is available to ourselves only when it wants to disclose itself in the form of revealed sound. If that absolutely pure consciousness, the supreme absolute personality of Godhead, wants to be known, he can through revealed sound. But he's completely independent to do so or not. There's nothing from this end that can be done. It's strictly mercy with a little effort for mercy. So the Vedas are meant to serve as a support for direct knowing of that reality. As seen in the case of Srila Vyasadeva and Sukadeva Goswami. Serve as support. Support. Not as the absolute reality, although it's certain that the transcendental sound coming through the Vedas and coming to us through the Leela of the Bhagavatam is certainly having a, a spiritual effect on us. That effect is ultimately meant to culminate in a revelation. Prayojan. We're meant to attain the goal of all this sound vibration. And it's also a Chintabeda Veda Tattva. It itself is Bhakti. So it's a great mystery. It's only perceived through the practice. We cannot take an academic approach. Although we can see Jiva Goswami was the greatest logician an academic, his approach is very academic. He's taking it step by step. But without a whole bodied turning of consciousness, Sambanda, Abhideya, and Prayojan, these three together, they work together to allow us to, to enter into that deepest apprehension of our being. There's a lot more to this Anucheta because he doesn't leave any room for misconception on the part of the serious student. There's no room to confuse 
the Jivatma from the Ishvara. And, uh, for now, I think we'll wrap it up and ask for any questions if there are any. Thank you very much for your association. Hare Krishna.